Hello and welcome back to another episode of One Kick from Glory. This is episode 19. We've been pushing on week on week. And we want to do something a little bit different this time. So today I'm joined by Marcus again. Pleasure to have you back. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun with this week's episode. It's been a lot of fun and games for a lot of our clubs, especially for my club, for Arsenal. We're back in the top four for the first time in a very, very long time. In fact, I read a tweet that said, and I'm, I should have probably had this prepared before we started. It's been 436 days since Arsenal were last in the top four, Gosh. which is disgusting and ridiculous, but we move. We're back. And minus our former captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, which is quite interesting. And so, wow. So it's interesting when these things happen. There's a lot of, we're going to talk a lot about just transitions in general and how things go. But to start off with, I guess for you, Marcus, looking back, uh, did you catch the game yesterday, Arsenal versus um, West Ham? It's all the highlights. Okay. So looking at the highlights for you, is there anything that really stood out from Arsenal's performance from that game? Well, they looked like they were on it. That's, that's one thing that was clear. Um, obviously, Emmy Smith-Rowe scored again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, it, it's an interesting one in the sense of, you know, everything that was going on, it felt like Arsenal needed a performance, right? Mm-hmm. They needed a result. They needed, you know, something compelling and convincing. And it seems like you guys got that yesterday. Yeah, it felt like it. I think, obviously, that it'll be easy to draw parallels to say that taking a Bamiyang out of the team has kind of contributed to this this performance. I think there's a lot of factors behind it. I think on the one hand, you know, the players are fully behind the manager and you want to show that support for your performance. I think the instructions he gave them was coherent. I think what was most encouraging and maybe might cause some kind of evaluate, like adjustments on the perspective of Arteta in terms of as an Arsenal manager for the future is the fact that he got the team to play this way for the whole 90 minutes. The pressing, I mean, the build-up from the back has been there from, from day dot, so that's not really a, a, a key thing for me. But the way we pressed the ball, the way we attacked in waves, the way that we had 21 shots in the game, which is very rare, we barely get 10 shots. So seeing that we had a lot of shots was very good. Seeing that we had a lot of really good chances, and they weren't just like shots for shots' sake. Every shot was a valuable shot that could have been a goal or could have led to something. So that's the big thing that I was really, really um, excited by. But I use all of that as our opening. We're not doing a review of matches this week. It'll be easy to. And we will touch on Aubameyang later on in the podcast. That's going to be like one of our closing thoughts. But I wanted to kind of open up this podcast because I've done a lot of thinking about how things have been, not just for Arsenal, but just in general, especially in light of Newcastle's, you know, their, their, their wealth and what that could open up to them. You think about Paris Saint-Germain and their their failings in terms of European success because that's the, the primary dividing reason why they're doing what they're doing. Say Manchester City because they haven't achieved their objective of winning it yet. And so this episode is going to be titled Return to Glory and it's all about the path to becoming a modern super club. Now, of course, Arsenal are back in the top four, which used to be the minimum expectation for the, for the club, which is embarrassing because, you know, we used to have ambitions of winning stuff, but Champions League has now become like the minimum objective. And so... I wanted to take you back to Liverpool's journey because Liverpool have went from being Champions League. Obviously, the Premier League took a while to come, and that I would, to me, I view that as the summit point of your journey. And and reason I say this is because you'd won Champions Leagues 
in the past. You'd won them in years when your league campaign maybe wasn't as strong as you would have liked or consistent. So we, we look back on your journey to success. And the first thing I want to open up with for you is like, what has it been like looking at Liverpool go from a team that were in the top four comfortably, missed out in the top four, had a couple of seasons when you were kind of floating between sixth to eighth, bizarrely, and then the kind of process of coming back to where you now are, which is Premier League champions, European champions from the previous season, and looking very likely to be in the running for both of those come May this year. Yeah, so, you know, if we if we look back 2005 when we won the Champions League, mm. you know, and through kind of, you know, the early 2000s, it was inevitably expected that Liverpool would finish top four. Mm. And, you know, you'd probably have a semi-final run, um, you know, late 2000s, Champions League semi-final, you know, kind of there or thereabouts. Late 2000s, you know, we had them famous battles with Chelsea, mm-hmm. uh, Rafa versus Mourinho, um, you know, which is interesting when you think back to that because, you know, Mourinho is kind of considered Mr. Pragmatic, but in the battle versus Rafa, like, <laughs> Rafa, Rafa was, was more pragmatic yeah. than, than Mourinho. So, you know, but, you know, I remember Mourinho's famous ITV documentary and, you know, there was that panning scene to Anfield and Rafa on the touchline and talking about how Rafa would always get the better of Mourinho and, and did. So, you know, when you... When you think about that, and then, you know, when Rafa left, I think the general consensus among the Liverpool fans was that, you know, maybe it was too early, um, you know, we could have could have maybe had one more year and kind of seen where we was we could have gone. But, you know, the, the, the idea had been that Liverpool had kind of always just been a little bit short of, you know, that league title. There was the, the famous Rafa rant with Ferguson, um, you know, and... Fergie clearly got under his skin and Man U went on to win the title. And and yes, so, um, you know, then we had them barren years, should we call it, mm. um, you know, and and yeah, I remember Liverpool having Paul Koncheski at left back, um, you know, <laughs> so if there's any real representation of what was going on there, it was Paul Koncheski at left back for Liverpool. But um, but no, it, you know, it was it was a period of, of real struggle and mm. and, you know, I think the thing that was very frustrating, but also, you know, quite interesting in that time is that Liverpool fans had to accept that whilst we're a big club and whilst we have a blueprint to be led back to the top, we can't demand that because our football hasn't, hasn't shown that it's, it's worthy of that. We can no longer attract the players. We can no longer attract the coaches. And, you know, we obviously kind of had the stabling of the ship a little bit with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hodgson was was a massive failure. And then Brendan was was an interesting kind of gamble on a young and exciting sort of up and coming, but not our number one choice at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fans were not united around that idea. And, and then obviously the Klopp era was the beginning of leading back to the, the success and has been a super club. So that, that, that's a little kind of overview and feel free to break it down. We all know that in the process of becoming where you are now, you had to go on a bit of a journey. You had to go through three managers, one club legend who the second time around didn't quite work out, two managers who regrettably were put in charge of the Liverpool Football Club, one more so than the other. And depending on how you, which day of the week it is, it, that name will change. Um, 
you know, Hodgson, Dalglish, and of course, um, Rogers, who I always view as the perennial almost man, even though, you know, for Leicester, they won some trophies. So maybe they might feel a bit differently with him. But like looking at, you know, going through those three managers, would you have imagined at the time that it would have taken you so long to land upon Jurgen Klopp and what he's done with the club? Yeah, I, I think it is the answer to that question. I, th- I think, you know, during our our time with with Kenny, the ship was steadied. We won a League Cup, but it didn't it didn't feel like we was we was going back to where we needed to go back to. Mm. Um, you know, Torres had left um, because he wanted to win the league, win the Champions League, had higher ambitions than where we were. Uh, we talked about that on the last podcast I was on and, and how wonderfully painful that was. Um, but at the, at the same time, understandable. Um, and then Kenny. Kenny came in and, like I say, steadied the ship. But, you know, there was no, there was no excitement that Kenny was going to come in and take Liverpool back to the top. You know, he'd, he'd not managed in a little while. And, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an appointment that, that changed the game. You can maybe... You can maybe look at any sort of similarities to, or the similarities to kind of Solskjaer becoming the caretaker manager of Man United, you think, mm. okay, knows the club, understands the club, understands how we function and how we work, but, you know, he's not going to change the game. Um, and, and I think it was, I think it was when we hired Rodgers and had that season where we finished second mm. that there was excitement at the club with Sterling and Sturridge and Coutinho, and you're thinking... Okay, okay, you know, maybe, may, maybe this could work out. Hmm. I, I would even say like that, that season when, when, you know, what was called the SSS, but um, obviously there's negative connotations with that an acronym. But anyway, Sterling Sturridge and Suarez, it was, it was phenomenal to see them. You know, two young British players performing exceptionally well. Daniel Sturridge, who at that point in time was England's best striker, should have played more for the national team. But obviously there were injuries and of course there's always international team politics. But you guys should have won the league that season. I think that is without a shadow of a doubt. The And in fact, the failings of that season to this day, I do believe still mars Rodgers' reputation because no matter what he does going forward, you're always going to look back to that. And in fact, looking at Leicester, the, the, the years he's been there, when they've fallen away in making the Champions League, that is kind of like those question marks keep coming back. Is this now a thing? And it could even become a verb, you know, you know, is it, you know, you've Rogers it up. So I feel like there was a lot of things there with Rogers in terms of like how things didn't work out. But what was what was good is that the style of football you were playing was yeah. quite exciting. It was quite innovative. Would you say that Rogers brought a philosophy to Liverpool and how did it feel watching your team play week in, week out, with this style? Yeah, I don't think Rodgers brought a philosophy to Liverpool because I think Liverpool as a club have a culture and a style in mm. the way they expect to play. And it's attacking and it's exciting. And, and that's what we we would we would desire. I think a lot of clubs would say that. But I think that has been, you know, the, the kind of Liverpool of the 80s um, played very good, expansive style of football for the time mm. um, you know Paisley Shankly these guys um, have kind of identified the, the the style of football for Liverpool and then um, then yes yeah, so so no Rogers came and played a very very exciting modern style of football that 
that was enjoyable. Um, and, you know, I, I think the perennial Naily man seems to be quite a, quite a sound description for someone like Brendan. I, I, at the time, always felt like Rogers just wasn't good enough. Mm. And when it mattered, he made the wrong decisions. And when it mattered, he was naive. Um, and, and I think with time and with the success that has followed, um, I have a little bit more patience for Brendan now than I, <laughs> than I did at the time. And, and speaking of the success that followed, because obviously, you know, you had that, that season where you, you, you narrowly missed, well, you could say you narrowly missed out on winning the league, or you could say you shot yourself in the foot. It's kind of a bit of both. And then into his second season when it just wasn't working out and you could see it from just the energy around the club wasn't the same, the momentum wasn't there and, and ultimately he got relieved of his duties and in came Jürgen. Now, one of the things a lot of Arsenal fans have used as I think a fair yardstick to assess Mikel Arteta is Jurgen Klopp's first season at Liverpool. Because one of the big things, we've, we've had Emery, God bless him, he tried, sort of. It didn't work out, right? That was the ugly duckling. We have Arteta and we finished eighth twice in a row. And I will always bang on about that because I think that's very important. Because at the end of the day, winning cups are a mixture of luck and tactics. But the league is always a true reflection of your progress as a club. That's just, the, the league, your league is, is, because it's 38 games, you have enough matches to prove one thing or another. We finished eighth twice. So clearly something's not working. Our biggest complaint has been about this philosophy, the style of football, something for us to get behind. I flip over to Klopp because we use that as a comparator because for us, from the outside looking in as an Arsenal fan, I could see from day one, Klopp football. Didn't have the right pieces, but we could see it. So from you as a fan, when Jurgen Klopp... Okay, first and foremost, when you heard Jurgen Klopp is coming to Liverpool, whether it was on Sky Sports or you got a text or whatever, what was your first feelings and how did you feel going into the first round of games with him as manager? Oh, I, I, I think you have, to, you have to go back to the, the months and months, because the summer came and Klopp left Dortmund. Um, and Liverpool, he needed a break, but Liverpool fans were like, we want Klopp, we want Klopp, we want Klopp. And then we went into the new season with Rodgers. We lost 6-1 to Stoke on the final game of the season in Gerrard's last game um, to, to finish. Wait, the... Stoke beat you 6-1? Yeah. Gerard's last game. If we'd not already compound the fact that Gerard slipped against Chelsea and we lost the title that year and then Gerard went to England um, and, and had a disastrous international tournament um, and then came back and his Liverpool career ended with a 6-1 defeat to Stoke on the final game of the season, finishing seventh in the league. Um, I think the Liverpool the Liverpool board had to have at that point decided that Brendan Rodgers wasn't the right man for the job. I, I can't say for sure, but it seemed to me like they would wait for Klopp and as soon as he was available, he was going to be the right guy because he left in the summer. Um, but um, I, I remember Merseyside derby, Drew, um, Drew with Everton. And I remember Terraria Henri was one of the pundits that day. Oh, the Carragher um, and, um, and then the news came. Uh, Brendan sacked. And you're thinking, all right, here we go. I've been waiting for this day forever. Um, and it was only a, a handful of days later that, that I actually heard um, the Sky Sports pundits had gone to Germany and they'd pressed on Jurgen Klopp's doorbell 
Um, and Jurgen Klopp has said, there's not much I can say, but as for tomorrow, I'll be 100% Liverpool. And that was when we knew Jurgen Klopp was coming to Liverpool. And, and yeah, the, 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 the feeling around the city was so clear. Hmm. Every Liverpool fan was united. This is the right man for the club. Um, he's, his big personality, his big character, his style of football, the fact that he kind of had that struggling end at Dortmund, I think made him attainable. For Liverpool, I, you know, I, I don't think Liverpool would have been able to, to to attract a manager of his quality without that, um, with where we were at the time, and and yes, this is where I would say, from an Arsenal perspective, that that I don't think the similarities between Arteta and Klopp are as clear. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the entire city was very certain that this guy was the right man for the job, and that this man would have the ability to take us back to the top and from day one that was clear you know you look at Arsenal now and you know you're two seasons into the Arteta project and really made a whole great amount of progress and I, I agree on that point and that's why I feel like I look at because to me it's not really like comparing the two because one Klopp's an experienced experience manager and two it's completely different but I feel like that's that's a good yardstick to 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 see how effective is a manager at imposing their style, their will on the team. Because I look at Vieira at Palace, I look at Dean Smith at Norwich, I look at even Eddie Howe at Newcastle to an extent. You're seeing a change. So, and Gerard at Aston Villa probably would be a good a great example in that in that pool. Managers that have come in and immediately you're seeing the team play differently. They're playing more in tune with what the manager wants. Vieira at Palace is is probably the for me, that's the appointment, which ultimately, if Arteta loses his job, it's because of comparisons between those two. Now, Palace aren't always playing great. They have issues at both ends of the pitch in that they don't score all the chances. that They're very wasteful in front of goal and they're very porous at the back. But in the middle, the, what they do going forward and how they play the attacking football is exciting. I know for Palace fans, you don't want to lose, you don't want to draw games, it can be frustrating. But you can't go home feeling like, oh, that was boring. You must be like, oh man, yeah, that was fun, but we just need to get that, you know, the pieces. So that's what I look at with Arteta and I feel like it hasn't quite been there. The buy-in the buy hasn't been there. Yes, he won the FA Cup and that was great. He won the, the Charity Shield and that was great. But after that, it's just been like sporadic moments of joy filled with moments of you wanting to rip his hair out. Not yours, his hair out and move on from him. But you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Brendan Rodgers. And I was going to say that. So like, so obviously Rodgers, so one of the big things we can talk about is, is the phase of a rebuild and what a manager can do. You talked a lot about the City of Liverpool being behind Klopp and the differences of Arsenal where it's like the whole fan base are not behind him. We have some that are on the fence, some that are, are, are giving him the season, others that want him gone. Uh, me who, I'm very open to having my opinion changed. But at the same time, the underlying metrics are concerning. I see worrying signs that he's not the guy to, to get us there. Would you say with Jürgen, when he first came, was the buy-in the name or was there things he specifically did to help with that? Because I know there's stuff he did at the end of games when he got the players to do the whole hold hands and like cheer the fans and stuff, which I thought some people thought it was corny, but I kind of liked it because it kind of... To me, it's, it was his way of saying to the fans, even after you lost, look, I know we're not great. He, he used another word, but I know we're not great right now. This is a, you know, but I need you guys to be with us. Believe in me, I'll take you there. Yeah, I, I think the buy-in was there from day one. 
mm. and and that Jurgen coming to Liverpool had had came with a reputation. He'd he'd won the league twice with Borussia Dortmund. He'd won the German Cup. He'd reached the Champions League final. Granted, a good team, but a team that dismantled Real Madrid in the semi-finals and mm. had built an exciting young team um, at Borussia Dortmund in which we felt we had the components mm. that he could do the same thing here at Liverpool. And and therefore, I I think the young came to Liverpool with the buy-in beforehand and the things that he has done along the way continued to enrich that reality because within six months he made his first cup final we lost to man city in the league cup um and it was disappointing but it was also very quickly the, the feeling of signs of things to come and then we reached the europa league final and you know we we lost to master unai emre europa league you know, champions that are Sevilla. Um, and again, they, they, they was, they was, I think, worthy of their win. Um, mm. You know, but again, it was another, you know, after the, the heartache of traveling to a European final losing, it, again, it, you know, it was very quick, you know, okay, we're building something here. We're, we're heading in the right direction. I, I don't like when other clubs use Jurgen Klopp as, as an example for how they're going to go back to the top when they're not actually moving in that direction. So, mm. you know, it's been two years and it's been two eighth place finishes. If Jurgen Klopp had came to Liverpool and it had been two years of two seventh place, seventh place finishes, I'd have happily sacked him and sent him to Switzerland, like he said, would be the case if he didn't win a trophy in four years. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important. I feel like that's one of the things that gets kind of lost as everything, right? Because I feel like, the, the first and foremost, the goalposts have been moved to Barteta. Because when he first came in, the objective was to get us back into Europe. In the top four was his objective. That was Unai Emery's objective. That's why they fired him. That was his objective. And Unai, Unai Emery was unfortunate because we, well, I say unfortunate, he contributed to his own downfall. We missed out by one win or a point. It was a point in the end, but we had at least four games and we could, I mean, if we had just won one of those four games, we would have made it in the end. But unfortunately, he had a brain fart and lost it. And in the Europa League final, we got absolutely demolished because he changed his way of playing. He lost his way. With Arteta, it's like people are giving him chances and opportunities, but yet by the club's own admission, he's failed his objective. So why is he still there? But we're going to come back to that in a very, very short second. I want to talk about like style of football and philosophy. Because I feel like that's the thing that, again, that's another yardstick which I have thrown at Arteta. And I think now we're starting to see it. I think last night in the game against West Ham, that was probably one of the best indicators of what could be Arteta ball. And I'll use that phrase very, very loosely because this Wenger ball is, the, is still the de facto standard that all Arsenal fans look up to. Or George Graham's way of playing, which we want to go back further. We've got Herbert Chapman's way. There is, we have got yeah. styles that we can live by and Arteta has not reached it. Yeah. So for you with, with Jürgen, actually, if you as a Liverpool fan, when you look at everything, how important was it to see the style of football coming in and how key is that with this sort of rebuild that you've been on? Yeah, well, it's important, of yeah. course. You know, every top club, you know, fans dream and hope is that they their club plays attractive, expansive, beautiful football or, or you know, aggressive, you know, Gergen press you know, pressing football and, and, and are winning. Mm. Um, but, you know, also Chelsea fans are happy to suffer Mourinho if it means they win too. And Liverpool fans with Rafa back in the day would, would happily take a less attractive style of football. And, 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 you know, I think this is the 
this is the 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 balancing act of tactics that is the kind of you know fight that's going on throughout is, is do you want an attractive style of football or do you want to win and and there's always a a kind of compromise in reality in that playing out. Jonathan Wilson wrote a book um, called Inverting the Pyramid where he talks through the history of football tactics and, and he makes this case quite eloquently in his introduction that, that, that all of football is this kind of wrestle between um, style of play um, and, and results. Mm. And ultimately, re results are very important, but the thing that keeps you hooked in as a fan is style of play. Because if, you're, if your team player style of football that you can buy into that's attractive that you can kind of hook your hat onto and say okay that's my class way of playing it kind of keeps you there even with Chelsea like I said when they had the Mourinho era and stuff it wasn't attractive to us but it was effective to them it was effective and, and well. I think they really enjoyed that kind of siege mentality when it's just like yeah. us against the world Mourinho yeah. had a good way of playing the victim card whoa you know the world hates us football hates us UEFA hates us yeah even though that you, you guys did some stuff in games which was, you know, like you guys bent the rules a few times, but hey, you won. So, yeah, I agree. Getting that, that fan buy-in is very important. And, and of course, as an Arsenal fan, we went from having Arsene Wenger, who even at his worst, no, I mean, at his worst, we, every now and again, the football could be great. Because if, if we're being totally honest, Arsene Wenger's football from 2010 started to decline rapidly. I still think 07-08 is my favourite Arsenal team because I feel like that was the purest expression of Wenger ball post the Invincibles and the 01-02 team. If that 07-08 team should have won, won a league with Van Persie, Adebayor, and then the midfield four of, of Rosicki, Fabregas, Flamini and Kleb, and they all had a bet on who could score the most goals. And you could see it in their celebrations when they would punch each other and stuff. I love that. And then the back four, of course, and we had William Gallas as captain. And maybe that's where problems... I mean, Gallas, captain number 10. Maybe that's where the problems really began. Yeah, and Arsenal's, Arsenal's strong, strongest reality in that setup is that, that Wenger's approach was one of creativity. Hmm. And Arsenal had Haleb, Kozola, Fabregas... Um, Nasri, Ashavin, Nas and of course, Mr. Meza Ozil. We Ozil. So, so, so you, you, you buy players that Rasiski that that represent this this style of football that's incredibly creative and successful, and 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 this is where you know a, a sort of PSG is a bit confusing because they've just bought lots of very good players with no clear identified style of football to fit them into and and you have a super squad with some of the greatest players to ever play football but but do you have an idea of how you're trying to play no for me psg are a bbl in football form they're top heavy and they're bottom heavy and there's nothing in the middle and it does not look good people people might like it yeah, it's the same, it's it's a, a, the same it team that didn't win the, the league last year in france yeah so it sells tickets yeah of course. It's, it's it's attractive to look at from a distance but it doesn't bear you results and it hasn't been, and it will, and I don't understand why. And I'm really hopeful that this some hopeful as like a observer and a casual PSG like aficionado. I'm not a fan. Just I like them a little bit. Like I'm hopeful that this winter they will actually bring in that midfielder to 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 bring it all together. Because I feel like Verratti when he's fit, you could put him to anyone. I feel like Ander Herrera and Jan. Um, 
uh, Garnagay, when they mix, they rotate them, they have some kind of solidity there. But the quality, the quality drop off minus Ferrati is just, it's just for Paris Saint Germain, it's embarrassing. Well, there's this little, um, this little known French guy called Paul Pogba whose contract's up in the summer who could, could quite well fulfill that he role. He could, but I, I feel like he, he's got a better, there's better places for him to go to. Paris Saint Germain would be a waste for him. That's my opinion. Yeah. The money might be worth it, but I just don't see it being worthwhile. You, you're just going to get Neymar. And Neymar will not win a Ballon d'Or at PSG. Not anymore now that Messi's there. Like, he made the move to become the king, and now the king has joined you. <laughs> so, but switching back to Arsenal and Arteta, for you looking at his, his two years there, right? And I say going from Arsene with Emery, who was a manager with some semblance of tactical acumen, but it just didn't quite work out at the club. What would you say are the positives looking at Arteta's time at Arsenal? And what would you say are the big negatives? Positives from an Arsenal perspective. Mm. He knows the club. Mm. Um, wow. He, That's like <laughs> scraping at the bottom barrel right there. He, he's, he, is, he, he is principled. Mm-hmm. And he does have an idea of how he wants to play. Mm. Um, I think that's capped because I'm not sure he's good enough, but, but he, he does have a principled idea of the, the way he wants to play and what he wants to do. And, and he's a very principled individual. You know, he, he is a, a, a leader in, in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, I think, he, I think he does kind of have, have an idea in that regard. But, but to me, um, with the ambition of Arsenal Football Club, I'm, I'm not convinced he's good enough. I, I don't think he's good enough to take Arsenal back to where they want to go. And, and Arsenal should very much consider it a, a, a very similar situation to where Liverpool were with Rodgers, which is, you know, two years in, mm-hmm. this isn't going to work. But we're fourth right now. So it's quote unquote working presently, in the mm-hmm. present moment. As soon as there is someone who is identifiably clearly going to take us to the next level, shake Mikel's hand and thank him for the memories. Move on. Move on. That's what I think. Yeah, I feel like when I look at everything, I'm really happy that we've made it to fourth. I I did say to you on the podcast before that it's an opportunity that we should take. You did. And and you were very strong in saying that we're not, Arsenal aren't good enough. At this present time. Because of the other teams around us. And I think that's, that's a fair comment to make. I stand by the fact that the opportunity is there and we need to take it. And now that we're in there, we shouldn't come out of it. We should not leave the top four, maybe only for like half a week because of a game in hand situation, but we shouldn't leave the top four now. That, that's it, that's ours. We should, we should lock it up and just keep it. And so, the reason- So the last time we had this conversation, man, you didn't have Radnick. They didn't. They, and, 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 and that's the thing. They have, a, they have a better philosophical, tactical coach who has an identity in a way that an assistant they're building and I'm very curious to see what they're going to do in the summer who they bring in because it's everything is being set up nicely for them to get a really great coach to build on this work yeah it feels the same with Arsenal if the club view this because of course after this season Arteta will have one year left on his contract Um, they have the option to sit down and talk to him when you extend or whatever but you have to take a step back and feel like what really is, do they really believe that he can take Arsenal all the way to the top? I think he's a great talker. And maybe the, like we will see throughout this Christmas period, 
what happens with Arsenal's placement, how he manages these games, whether that will be key. He did talk about the fact he wanted to change the culture. And we're going to talk, touch on that really, really shortly with the situation with Aubameyang and with other players that have been exiled and his man management and stuff. But I feel like in terms of as a, as a clean-up man, I might even call him the cleaner. As the cleaner, I can't really fault what he's doing because when Jumberg took over, he mentioned that there was an issue with characters in the dressing room. When he first came and he said that he, he was surprised, he was shocked to see that this is what Arsenal had become. He's never elaborated what he means by that. He talks about his non-negotiables and a lot of us had an issue with that because we saw Willian, who was woefully, disgustingly out of form last season, still get, getting picked. Of course, we had the infamous Dubai trip where he went off to Salt and saw Salt Bay in the midst of COVID, which is meant to be like a working trip or whatever. And then he got punished for it privately, but then ended up playing a couple of games after. So there was just a lot of like inconsistencies in what he was mm. saying versus what he was doing. And, um, and so I feel like that is a thing which, again, you look at as a fan and feel like, well, where's the consistency here? Where is this true? Is it one rule for one, another rule for others? But again, he's trying to build something. And we'll give him the time to make it come to, to reality. Looking at what you've seen so far, what would you say is the biggest thing that stops him being the manager to take Arsenal to the next level? And what and what else would you say are his main negatives? Yeah, I think the the reality is he hasn't done it, has he? he no. you know, he's been there for, for for a long enough period of time, and and I would. I would liken him to Frank Lampard in in looking at the Chelsea situation. You know, it was just clear that the football wasn't good enough, the results weren't good enough, and you know, look, Arteta's had games or periods where he's took Arsenal ten games unbeaten, mm. and then they've lost three games to to, to not even big teams. Sometimes you know, just it's it's a poor poor result at Everton, mm. you know, and. I have to take a dig at Everton every every time I get a chance, I mean, you know. They are, they, are, um, they, are, they are a problematic <laughs> team. But um, but no, so I, I think I think you know the results have been clearly not good enough. And you look at Chelsea and they sacked Lampard, brought in Tuchel, mm. um, and won the Champions League six months later because they hired a world class manager mm. who had the ability to take the team where the team needed to go and got the best out of the players. And you know you have to say maybe Bar. Sort of like Emil Smith Rowe or Saka, you know the, the the players at the club. Is he getting the best out of them on the field performances, week in week out? I think the answer is no. You know when you when you look at the likes of money spent on players like Pepe, mm. um, you know the likes of sort of Granite Shaka's performances week in week out or. Um, you know, even Leno. Um, I, know. I think Partey would be a good example because I don't know what's happened to him this this season. And, Obviously injuries know. as well, but... Yeah, but he's been fit a lot this season. Okay, he has so. been fit a lot this season and his performances have not lived up to the money we spent. Last year he was injured a lot, which was really strange considering he barely got injured in Spain, so adjustment. But this year he's, played, he had, a, he's had a lot of games and when he has played he's just not looked good. Right. It's really concerning for the amount of money we spent on him. For what he's supposed to do for the team, he's not lived up to it. But mm. I'm glad you mentioned things like Pep, players like Pepe. I think in terms of players that have done really well under him, I like what I'm seeing from Gabriel. I like what I'm seeing from Ramsdale. Um, just looking at some of the younger players, obviously, you know, new guy brought in Tavares. I think he's done really well. Martinelli, we were all kind of wondering if Arteta hates him or whatever. Some people were calling Arteta, you know, um, uh, well, we, we used to liken him to Saddam. 
But you know, yeah. Saddam Arteta, because it's like this guy would not pick our players. He called him a terrorist, whatever. But at the end of the day, he clearly was working on stuff with um, Martinelli in terms of his positioning and in terms of his like his his backward and forward play. And I think yeah, in the game against West Ham, we saw a ma- in the last few games he's played, there's a massive improvement in his overall game. But his man management, that's where there is serious question marks over everything. I go back to Mesut Ozil saga. To me, last season, we absolutely blew an amazing opportunity to make something. Because I look, I look back on last season, because um, City won the league. Who, who came second? Was it United or was it you guys? United. United. And you guys came third. third and Chelsea was fourth because of transition. So that was a season where there was a lot of... See, Van Dijk got injured, so you guys were, were, were really just... It was just like a... Whatever happens, we'll just we'll survive. I don't know if that's what was the plan. I don't think that was the plan for Liverpool going into the season. But he just kind of whatever. As the year went on, Klopp was like, "We're going to make top four. We'll just deal with it. We'll ride it out. And next year, we'll come back harder. Whatever." The opportunity was there for Arsenal to, to probably sneaking sneak back into Europe. We had a, we had the Europa League run and against the game against Valencia, he absolutely botched it with the team selection and tactics. Again, just decisions that didn't make any sense resting players in key games when they should have played in the, in the European games, whatever. Meza Ozil. The club knew come the end of last season, or the end of the previous season, he had no future at Arsenal. The fact that he didn't play any games, he was famously sat on in the stands, you know, COVID times, there was no fans in the stand with the umbrella. He had the umbrella over his head. Yeah, Lacazette the same. I looked at them both thought, those two need to be moved on because that just looks ridiculous. He had no intention of playing him because he played him pre-lockdown. Something happened which the club have never publicly confirmed what it is. We as fans can infer it could either be down to the wage cut thing where he questioned what's happening with the money, can you prove why it's going to be used, or it could be down to his comments about the the treatment of the Uyghur Muslims in China. It's one of the two, or it's something else, or the club decided that we just want this guy off our books because his money is, is, is too much. Or it could be a combination of all three. They've never confirmed, so we have to just infer based on what he said, what they've said, what his agent said, and what's really how it's all played out. He got exiled, but they knew they weren't going to keep him. So why on earth that summer did they not make a make it clear beyond reasonable doubt you have no future at Arsenal? Because they used him in the preseason in some of the games, which was bizarre. And then he had the whole robbery thing, and then he was that was it. Ozil was done. So we had Ozil situation, which was very, 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 very strange. You wait until January to finally shift him out. Same with Mustafi, uh, had no future. You kept him for so long. You had the William Saliba stuff. You had no intention of playing him, but you didn't get him out to get him experience. Clearly there's an issue of how Arteta manages players. Right now we've got the massive issue with the former captain of Bamiyang. From you looking at it from the outside in, because you've had, we've all had trouble players at your club. And I especially want to talk about how Klopp handled the Mohamedou Sako transition out of the club. What do you think about all of this? And do you feel like this is something which if Arteta doesn't get a, either a better handle of or a better way of communicating his feelings to not just the fans but the players, it might cause his downfall at Arsenal? Yeah, you also had the Shaka incident, didn't you? Well, um, well the Shaka thing was, was under Emery. Oh, okay. That was, okay, that was beforehand. Okay. And, and our biggest issue with Xhaka is that we felt like he should be done at Arsenal. And the manager said, everyone gets a clean slate. Okay. That's what he said when he came in. Okay. And that also adds into our confusion because if everyone gets a clean slate, what happened to Ozil? Right? You gave him a clean slate. What happened to make you say, we're done with this guy? Because I still think he could have done a job 
that season. And I think my bigger problem with all this is that if you knew he had no future at the club, why did we not invest in a number 10 that summer? Why did we wait until the last minute to bring in Smith Rowe? Why wait so long? Right, yeah. So I think, I think the Aubameyang situation is obviously problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems clear that Aubameyang has done something mm-hmm. that is unacceptable and that is not going to be accepted or tolerated by the club and mm-hmm. that he won't play again. But that's what it seems like based on the message that they're giving. You know, the press conference, Arteta basically came out and said, basically, he's, it's a big betrayal. He's lost his captaincy. He's not going to be playing for a while. Um, and that he's just going to have to deal with that. Um, so it, to me, it doesn't seem like Arteta is taking the stance of, of, of giving him a chance mm-hmm. again. But then at the same time, the club have done this thing where they've kind of came out and said, he's done wrong. We're being transparent, but not transparent enough to tell you what he's done. So I don't really know how you deal with that because it just leaves an air of question mark around the situation for Arsenal fans. Well, well what has he done? Is he going to play again? Well, you're coming out and telling us you're being transparent, but you're not really being transparent. It's, it's a confusing message, I think. Here's something really interesting which happened on, uh, it might have been Tuesday evening, but or pre-game. Or, was it Monday evening or Tuesday evening? His agent went to Instagram, posted pictures of Aubameyang with the FA Cup trophy, Community Shield trophy, him and Arteta. I thought it was very interesting. You have to say, remember what this guy did for you. Just a little reminder, which I thought was quite pointed because clearly something's happened. Mm-hmm. I think the Athletic did a good job of trying to explain the, the sort of circumstances behind the whole thing. And so from their accounting of things is that uh, the club had agreed Aubameyang could go over to France to see his mum. She's unwell. I know she had COVID previously. She might have COVID again. It's not really clear what she's unwell with. They said you could travel back to see her. He went off on a, his own private jet, whatever. Um, obviously, the law changed from Wednesday with the government changing the requirements yeah. of COVID, PCR tests, all that kind of stuff. But So that's where the club said, look, you can go in and come out, but you have to be back by Wednesday evening so that we can do the testing and stuff. I think they allow that. I think it's like a 48-hour period that's key for them to kind of have him ready back in the country and have him ready with the game. They didn't come back on Wednesday. They came back on Thursday. So I think he was meant to come to see the club. He came back on Thursday. The test that they had wasn't quite right to come back anyway. So it wasn't the standard needed by the government or by the Premier League. That's what created the issue. They decided to say, you're banished from the team. So that was done on the, on the, on the Friday, they told him. The Thursday told him whenever that he's... The Thursday he came to training, they kicked him out and said, look, go home. You're not in the team anymore. He was still captain at that point. You've just been dropped. Monday, he had a face-to-face meeting with Edu, Vinay, and then with Arteta, where he told him, you're not going to captain. Now, I don't know what's happened between Thursday to Monday because something else must have happened because you don't just drop a guy and then strip the captaincy of him because if you were going to do it, you would have done it all at once. So something else has happened in between. There was a weird picture online of him with a tattoo artist, which I don't know when, where that falls in the time of events because I know he had a, he had a tattoo. He got, got a tattoo on his wrist back during COVID back last year when everything was locked down, because he, he went overseas to see his mum and on the way back got a hand tattoo, club were not happy. They're like, what's going on here, mate? Like, it's COVID, what are you doing, kind of thing. 
So I don't know if this latest picture is a new picture, old picture, but I thought it was just very weird, the timing of that coming out and in this whole time of events. And if that tattoo is a new tattoo, because it, like it, it looked like that picture came out on Friday, that would explain why he got, to me, that would explain why they stripped from the captaincy. Because it's like, look, cases are going up. You came back late for COVID regulation violations. You get, you've just gone out and got a tattoo. Multiple, it's like, like yeah. do you not care? And, and the other thing with it is, which I think in everyone's reporting of all this stuff, which might make it very simple to understand, the manager had COVID really badly, Arteta. He actually is one of the first ones who whistled broke that actually COVID is a problem in the Premier League because I've got it and he was covering fine. And maybe from having it, that might be why he was so, you're taking the mick, like you can't be captain anymore. How dare you? As captain, you've got to set an example. You turn up late, fine, we find you, whatever. He was late for the Derby game, caught in traffic, but you know, it's the Derby, you should do better than that. Set an example. This, if, if that tattoo picture is chronologically accurate and was taken on Friday, he got a tattoo after being dropped, I can understand why he's not a captain. It's like, do you not learn? Like, what more do I have to tell you that, to make you get it? Yeah. So I kind of understand it, but I do feel like he does have an issue of dealing with Mavericks because the Ozil situation, I feel like that should have been handled better. Guendouzi, how he got exiled at the club, Guendouzi's a bit of a prat, but his, his reasons for his actions were defending his teammate. And if that, I mean, there is other stuff when he was rude and disrespectful on holiday and, and they kind of dealt with it. Then he, did, he refused to apologise for the Brighton incident, which is why they decided to, sh to shift him on. They told him to apologise. He said, I won't apologise because this guy injured my teammate. How he mocked Malpe was, was wrong, telling him, you know, you'll never earn as much money as me. I earn more money than you ever earned in your career. It's a bit, a bit much. I don't like Malpe, but it's a bit much. But clearly, there's, there's, the man management side of his game needs to improve because um, it doesn't look good. As an Arsenal fan, do you think Aubameyang plays for Arsenal again? Well, here's the interesting thing. We have three more games until he's due to go to the Cup of Nations, the international duty. If he doesn't feature, no. If he doesn't feature, no. I think the way how the managers talked about it, I think his Arsenal career is over. Because it doesn't feel like it's even of olive, olive branch to say. Because when they, they, they quizzed him about it after the game and he was like, look, I just want to focus on the game. We just won. Let's talk about that. Don't talk about this. He wouldn't even be drawn on it. I, like, Arsene Wenger's had falling outs with players. All managers have. And there's a way you can kind of say, you know, we're going to sit down with him. He knows the standards, standards we have as a club. We feel like he violated that to a point which was beyond repute. And now that he understands that and this, he's, he's experienced the severity of what that means, we'll sit back down with him and we will reassess how things will go going forward. And if he applies himself, then he has a future. But I guess the problem with saying that is then it makes it seem like the onus is on the player and whatever. Part of me wonders if, if there's this kind of idea of we're three games away from me be, being able to forget about him for a little while. So he says it's going to be a while. He's not playing in these three games. Mm. Let him go off to the African Cup of Nations, see how he performs, see what happens, and see if we can address the situation once he returns I mean, I think the, the I think the bigger biggest issue of everything is that he's not been good this season. Yeah. Ever since he got a new contract, his form has fallen off a cliff, off a cliff. Like yeah. you couldn't even try and make his performances better if you wanted to. He's been so poor. 
And so I do wonder if that ultimately is is the, the factor in all of this is that he's been so poor. So think about it this way. If if Aubameyang was banging in goals like Salah for the first half of the season mm. and these incidents sort of transpired in the same way, do you think Arteta would have dealt with it no. in the same way? Absolutely not. Why would you? If, if he was scoring the goals, you, you, you know, you, you, like I've heard stories where Ronaldinho turned out training drunk and look how he performed. You, you make allowances for players if they perform at the highest level. That's always been the case. Ar- Arsene did it with, with Mesut Ozil because he understood that some away games that boy would not perform. There's no point bringing him. I mean, Ozil had the famous thing when the ball's up in the air, you know, near him, rather than try and jump ahead, he would kind of, he would kind of like just turn his back on it and hope <laughs> that the guy jumping through the ball would miss the ball. I mean, there are a lot of times at Anfield, a lot of times Shies away. Like, yeah, so yeah. after a while, he just, he, just, he just found a way to manage him as best. And, and yeah. by giving him that loving environment, you got the best out of him. I, I, I don't see that... You know, if, if Aubameyang was performing, I don't think he would be, be having this conversation. I feel like he would still be captain. I don't think he should have been captain in the first place. And, you know, I think it's important that your team is led by the right player that can, one, transmit the manager's message and, two, be the heartbeat of the team. And I talk about that because, of course, looking at Liverpool, we can all comfortably say Jordan Henderson is not Liverpool's best player. And that's not even an insult to say it. He's not top five. He's not top 10. He might be top 12 because i got to think about your squad. But he's not top 10. He's not top five. I think I'd play him top 10. Yeah, maybe top he's 10. not top five. He's not top five. Top 10. And it's like he's done the back end of that list because he got a, you know, he'll be behind Van Dijk. He's behind Trent. He's behind Robertson. He's behind Allison. He probably is ahead of Matic. Salamani. You know, yeah. he's, you know Firmino, yeah, even though yeah. Firmino is nearly here though, everywhere. So... But for you, like, what would you say makes a leader and why has your club been so much better than Arsenal at picking one? In recent years. Luck to start off with, right? Mm. You know, Steven Gerrard was our captain for a long period of time and and we didn't need to change anything. Incredible leader. And leader on the pitch, leader off the pitch. That man completely and utterly epitomized everything that you would want in a leader aggressive strong on the field stands up for his players sure went over the the line a few times with that i remember him getting sent off after 30 seconds of coming on against man united at half time he was pumped up though uh, he was a <laughs> big game um but um but but no um sets the example off the pitch by working the players that are there to try to keep them at the club mm. um you know being the 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 example of the manager's ear uh, your manager's uh, been the manager's mouthpiece. Sorry, um, scores in the big moments. Is there in the big moments? Stands up when nobody else is standing up. Um, is professional. Um, you know this is this is the example of what you need in a leader. And and Jordan came to Liverpool as a young kid and was able to watch that example from Gerard and from Carragher mm. um, and from Sammy. Um, Herpia and you know these guys who who were were, were incredible leaders and and he amplifies that and mm. ha- has done since taking that captain's armband and and you know they talk about how difficult it is to follow such a great leader and you've seen that at Man United with you know Ferguson and then you know the Moist and the even mm. big names like Van Hal and Mourinho who have struggled to follow such an incredible leader. Mm. Um, Jordan Henderson doesn't get enough praise for the way that he took that captain's armband from Steven Gerrard. Everybody was like, who is going to be able to replace Steven Gerrard? And 
you know, now Henderson is a is a is, is a Liverpool legend and Liverpool captain in his own right, mm. um, and Liverpool have a handful of incredibly professional players. But I, I think this is the difference between. Liverpool and Arsenal in that regard is not only that Jordan Henderson is an incredible leader, but that Liverpool have a team of excellent leaders. You know, yeah. James Milner, what a professional. Like, that man has, you know, not only won titles at two Premier League clubs, but has been playing in the Premier League since he was 16 years old mm -hmm. and is about as professional as he gets. You know, I remember he was watching the, the under-16s games, um, you know, when... Um, he was supposed to be on holiday, quote unquote, wow. and you know, in his time off, and you know, has is the the perfect example of a professional. Um, you know, so again, not an incredibly technically gifted player, but an incredible leader. Um, so, so yeah, I think Arsenal have struggled with that for for a while, and they appoint the wrong captains, and yep. they 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 haven't built a culture of strong leadership. Um, you know, throughout the time. And, and, you know, you look at someone like Arteta coming into the club, who is a good leader and a, and a, and a strong professional, uh, but doesn't have a bunch of players that, 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 that exemplify that same reality. Mm. So I think, I think you have to build that culture within your club. And Liverpool have signed strong, solid leaders. Van Dijk, strong, solid leader um, as well within the signings that, we, that we've made. So, so yeah, Andy Robertson, um, you know, Eight million from Hull, incredibly good leader. Um, you know, very vocal on the field, not afraid of anyone or anything. I, I remember squaring up to Messi and to Suarez <laughs> um, in them Barcelona games. So, so yeah, I think I think Jordan Henderson, incredible leader and worthy of all the the respect that is needed for for a leader. That he's the, one of the best examples of a captain there is. And you know, the England guys, they say that about him too. Harry Kane. You know, for me, I I felt like Henderson should have been utilised more in the Euros. My 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 mindset was as soon as he's fit, just play him. Because I I just felt like you need that. I mean, even there's a, a game when he was waiting to come on off the bench, and we we scored, and just his his celebration, he was celebrating with the manager like I think yeah it was definitely England Euros. He was celebrating like he scored it himself. I was like, <laughs> there's your leader. There's your leader. He's so, vocal. He's so yeah. vocal on the field. There's this one video of Jordan Henderson. It's like 15 minute highlights of him talking to the other players on the field. And you get like the close up because it was when the stadiums were empty. So you could hear what he was saying to all of the other players. And he's just such a vocal leader going and encouraging, going and no, get in there, get in there. Positioning his players with Trent specifically as well. Mm. You see, he spends a lot of the time on that right hand side. And yeah, he's incredibly vocal. Such a such a, a good on-the-pitch leader as well in terms of positioning his players, getting them where he needs them, controlling the game from the middle of the park, um, being the loudest player on the pitch. Like You need that from your, your captain in the centre of the park who's going to say, guys, this is what we're going to do. You know, you had that from Gerard when we were 3-0 down in, 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 in Milan and mm. came out at halftime. And, you know, he's the vocal one. He's getting the fans pumped. He's getting the other players pumped. And then he's the one scoring the first goal to get the game going. And, and Henderson has, has exemplified that for me and found a way out of Steven Gerrard's shadow, mm. which I think is, is where he's worthy of, of a lot of praise. But, you know, taking that and linking it to Arsenal, um, the best leader, quote-unquote, I think Arsenal have had in a while would be Ashley Cole. 
um, if you're going back. Yeah. And, you know, you obviously know the situation of how that all played out there. But he, he was more of a quiet leader. But but I think, you know, that would be, you know, Ashley Cole, Sol Campbell, you know, you can go with Martin Keogh and, and um, you know, even David Seaman, if you want to go really back to that kind of team. Arsenal had a team, Vieira, um, you know, Arsenal had a team of leaders. Um, and... And unfortunately, if you if you start coming more and more towards the present, you're picking one or two players. You're not you're not picking five or six in the bunch. And I think that's that's a big problem. I think for me, like looking at the current Arsenal squad now, and I like I like how Lacazette is on the pitch. I feel like the way how I think for me, as the as the transitional captain until he leaves the end of the season, because I don't see him getting a new contract. They shouldn't give him a new contract. I think he's done. He's not been good enough as a striker for Arsenal. If we're being honest, like as a team that's had the strikers we've had in our history, he's just nowhere near. Not top 10, not top 50. He ain't nowhere near that list. I'm not being harsh, <laughs> not, he just isn't. 50. He isn't. Arsenal, he's not. Like, it's a bit brutal. But he isn't. He hasn't scored enough goals. And at the end of the day, as a striker, you're a goal scorer first and foremost. You're not a link man. You're not, you're not a, a cheerleader. And he's, he's a great link man right now. He's a great... Like he's great at galvanizing his teammates. He's great at doing the, the kind of dirty stuff you need to do on the pitch to get free kicks, get fouls, whatever. He does a good job of that, but we need more. If he could do that and had a bit more of a stamina and pace and scored goals, I'd have no issues giving him a new contract, but he doesn't. His stamina, I mean, he played great yesterday, but that was unusual because normally he's done by 60 minutes. He lasted about 80 odd before he came, or 70 odd before he came off, which was very unusual, but that was nice. But yeah, so. Who are the leaders in this team? For me, looking at the Arsenal team right now and seeing that the well, there's the leader that we don't want in Granit Xhaka because we, we just can't beat that guy. Uh, no matter how hard we try, every manager picks him for a reason. So he's a leader, but he's not a great leader because when his head goes, he's he's, he's playing against you. So Granit Xhaka is one, but I wouldn't make him captain anymore. That that ship has sailed. For me, I look at Ramsdale. I think I think he's very vocal, and you need that in your team. He he's got the Jens Lehmann about him, but he in a jokey way. Whereas Jens Lehmann was, he was just like peak, the phrase is peak shithousery. That's what Jens was. And Ramsdale's got that about him, but in like a joke, kind of like, oh, a cheeky, cheeky laddie kind of way, but he's like that. For me, Gabriel, who I think should be the next captain, personally, yeah. I think he's very vocal. His English has come a long way. And you, you just, every time there's an incident in the game, he's there. Like even yesterday, he was up there. The manager, had, the referee had to tell, like I said, tell Gabriel to calm down. Like he's not the captain. I was looking at him thinking, no, he is the captain. He just hasn't got the armband yet. That's why he's up in your face telling you that's a that's a house painting. What's going on? Him, Tierney, I think is a leader. He just doesn't stay fit enough. But he would be another leader that I'd pick in the team. Erdegaard, because of what he does, he's leader of his country. And I think as he's growing in confidence, he's becoming more of a leader on the pitch. So I see that. Um, that's it. I could try and pick other people, but I'm not going to. That's where that's my leaders, that's the leaders I see at Arsenal right now. I said Lacazette already. Um, that's it. And I think Gabriel should be the next captain, if not him, Tierney. One of those two. I shouldn't go to anyone else. Yeah, Tierney is a, a great leader. He doesn't play enough. Yeah. You know, his, his injuries have been quite a problem for his him. Injuries and, and also Tavares has, has come in and he's added something different because he's so unpredictable. Yeah. He's like Jovino at left back, but with better quality. <laughs> he's so, you don't know what he's going to do. He's going to go left and go right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think I think it's been like this is this is the big challenge for Arteta now. How does he manage it from now to the end of the season? He can keep this leadership group structure thing he wants to do, 
and say that we're going to manage things as they go and you know we'll appoint a camp at the end of the season that's all well and good but I feel like it should be clear who that's going to be as time goes on because you can't leave it in limbo from now till then this leadership group thing it's all well and good until Jack gets Jack gets the armband that's the reality we all we all can live with it but when he gets the armband and he's worn and Lack if he gets it and Lacazette's also playing and he's wearing it still that's something of a problem it's very clear what the manager's doing is Lacazette starts so he gets the armband when he's not there we know who he's going to so I think that's going to be very important. But ultimately, with all of this, I think we can all say that Arteta is probably not the guy to take Arsenal to the, the promised land of winning winning the league. I'm not, Champions League is not the promised land. That, that has always just been the bare minimum. And as a bare minimum, it's, it's an indictment to how much we've fallen over the years that we took that as, an, as, a, as a, a happy medium and we took it for granted. Then now we don't have it anymore. We're begging for it. Even if we get it, we shouldn't be satisfied with it because that should be the bare minimum. For you... If Arsenal move on from him, who should they choose next? And my second part to that question is, should that choice happen soon? As in, during this season, the summer, who, would you, who, would, who should Arsenal move for next to get them to the next phase? It's such a complex question, right? It is, isn't it? Because, no, but the, the reason it's complex, is, or that I would say it's complex, is because, is because football is always moving. Mm. And depending on where you are and how you're looking at it, it's transitioning so quickly that managers that I would suggest are in jobs. Mm. And then I would ask, would they go to Arsenal? So I, I, would, I would say the first thing that you have to consider in answering that question is, is the next manager of Arsenal needs to be a manager that, that fans all wholeheartedly unite behind and agree upon. Mm. So... If I told you Pep Guardiola would be the next manager of Arsenal, every Arsenal fan would be like, thumbs up, I'm good with that, because he's one of the best managers in the world. Not realistic, but that, that mentality of you want the majority of the fan base to unite behind this guy and say, yes, yes, this is the guy that we want to be our next manager. So being realistic, there's two names that come to mind for me that I, I would say these would be the, the guys that I would go for. Um, number one is uh, Marco Rosa at okay. Dortmund. Um, he, he has a very enjoyable Klopp-ish style of football. Mm. Um, he's young and upcoming and, and I think is a good candidate in that regard. Would all the Arsenal fans be excited about him? Most of them probably don't know who he is. So no, you can't really say that for sure. But I do think in terms of his style of football, he'd have the potential to be able to, to take Arsenal forward. Um, the obvious candidate is Ten Hag. Mm. Um, I, I think Ten Hag's probably the, the, the most exciting young manager in world football right now. I think you might have a fight on your hands with United um, in the summer to, to get his signature. Um, but, but he would be the the clear candidate he's you know spent time at Bayern Munich and learning under Pep and you know and then has gone to Ajax and proven himself he's taken the Ajax team to a Champions League semi-final lost Dion lost De Litt, um and there was a few others that, that let Donny van der Beek um, and has rebuilt the Ajax team into a, again a team that looks like it could reach another Champions League semi-final like you know they won all six group games and a, a, a dominating in, in, in the Dutch league again. So 
Um, Ten Hag would be the man, but could Arsenal get him? Would he go to Arsenal? I don't know. So they, they would be the two names that, that I would suggest. And, and therefore the answer is no, you wouldn't move on right away because neither of them are available. Um, but at the same time, this is where I say with football moving, if a manager becomes available that is clearly a world-class manager and that could clearly take Arsenal back and would go to Arsenal, I'd throw everything at it. So who, who would you put then that as a manager that you'd put in that bracket? That would, that would be a world-class manager who's currently not available that if they were available, you'd say Arsenal would be all over it. That's a hard question to ask because it's like, you've got to think about all the big teams that have got coaches. Obviously, there's some managers who we know won't come so Pochettino, I'm not even going to think about him because he's lo- he's loyal to the game and he's a purist, so he wouldn't come. And there's others who are way past their best by date, and we wouldn't even have in Jose. But who would you say would be a manager that would fit that criteria? Yeah, you go through the big teams, Ancelotti. Um, you know, obviously he he went to Everton and realised. I, I remember the famous uh, the famous Ancelotti quote of you know i'm a manager not a magician after his time at Everton, (laughs) (laughs) you know and and you know but but if ancelotti was available you know he would be a a coach allegri was available for a long time but there's question marks around his english and and his willingness to come to england and i think probably also his style of play yeah because in his i think with the emery appointment maybe there's a part of the club that feel like "Mm, it wasn't really palatable Mm. so there is that our Arsenal fans are quite snobbish like you say beggars can't be choosers but we're like yeah but nah like we're just like nah we can be choosers and we are going to choose yeah yeah um, so obviously Nagelsmann but that's not going to happen so but, why would he leave you know um, so um, yeah then you've got your English ones but but they're also not very likely candidates you know you're, you're not you're not leaving the top Six teams in England to go to Arsenal. That's true. Um, now, one that you're not going to like is is Brendan Rodgers. Um, I'm not keen on him because I just I just like I said, there's just this question mark about. I mean, yeah, I I just the way he his teams fall apart. I can't count Celtic because that's just a whole different situation. But even the fact that Rangers were able to win a, win a title with him there. Now Gerard did a great job with with Rangers, but. That in itself is a question. Had Rodgers not left by then? No. Okay. He was still there. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, this is his second season at Leicester. No, is it third? I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, however, yeah. e- either way, R- Rodgers is the nailing man. Um, and, and yeah, Leicester fell out of the top four after 200 or something days in the top four, uh, you know, on the final day of the season. And... And there is still some question marks about him. And I don't know what it is that's missing. Because for me, Rogers isn't a world-class coach, but I don't know why. I, I don't know what the element that's missing from taking him to that next it's ability, level it's, it's is. It's ability to finish. Okay, they won the FA Cup, and that's amazing. But you need... And I know... And, and this is the funny... This is the thing with Klopp. Because people were trying to say that because he'd reached all those finals and not won it, they were trying to label Klopp as, well, he can't finish his dinner. But obviously Jürgen is Jürgen and it was always going to come. He just needed the right pieces and then he, when he got them, he did it. I think with, with Rodgers, that, that season when you, when you were there top and you should have won the league and he didn't win it, I honestly think that is it. It's as simple as that. He, he didn't take you over the finish line. But he was young. 
and had not won anything before that, yeah, apart from the league, the league, yeah. uh, the the championship playoffs to to get Swansea promoted, and and whilst looking back at the time, I was so glad he left. Mm. I I have a lot of respect for what Rodgers has done since leaving Liverpool. You know, he went to Celtic, took the the, the you know the the kind of humility that he needed to take um, because he'd been humbled and learned how to win, mm. you know, and, and did so at Celtic. And then he's came back to Leicester. And whilst Ranieri managed to take Leicester to win a league title, that is an absolutely outlier season and, yeah. and not something that should be commonly expected from a team like Leicester. They, they sacked him the next year because it wasn't happening again, right? Yeah. Um, and has consistently finished top six with Leicester, mm. which is a good achievement, a very good achievement, considering the, the budgets the nature of the, the the quality of the team compared to the the teams that are there. Leicester are not the fifth or sixth best team in the Premier League in that regard, mm. um, and and therefore I have and won the FA Cup. I have a lot of respect for the work he's done and think that he's potentially still on the up. Mm. So if Rodgers can figure out what that component is that that makes the difference to get them across the line then then i still think he's got the potential to be a world-class manager um but you know would he go to arsenal apparently he wouldn't of course he, he would he, well apparently he wouldn't go to man united who, goes to, who comes to arsenal it's arsenal it doesn't matter how bad we are it doesn't matter what kind of a season we're having we're still the arsenal and no one's taking that away from us and that's a fact people can laugh about it and say oh it's arsenal blah, blah, blah. we're still arsenal but, but, but history fa- but, counts but, but, for something. Agreed. And, and, and now you're talking like I was talking or like Liverpool fans were talking back when we were in the situation that we was in where we kind of seventh, eighth, not really achieving, but yet we're, we're Liverpool. Hmm. You know, 18 Premier League titles, more Champions Leagues than any other English team. Don't discount us. But at the time, where we were, we could attract Roberto Martinez and he, even he didn't come to us in the end and Brendan Rodgers. We, we couldn't attract better than that. And, and Vardy didn't go to Arsenal and sign a new deal at Leicester. I'm not convinced that Brendan Rodgers would go to Arsenal if you threw everything at him and said, here's the checkbook, here's the, the, the path forward. Um, because of the fact that Leicester are such a well-run football club. They have, they, they have maybe the mm. best owners in the league. They have backed Brendan Rodgers really well and give him a team that gives him the ability to, at the moment, finish fifth and sixth without pressure. But you know what? You know why I say he would move to Arsenal at the end of the day? Because in as much as Arsenal are in a state of transition, and I think this season is really... I don't know how how this season is going to end, but we're in a state of transition and like the piece... like. I'll give Arteta his credit. The signings he's made this window, every single one of them, brilliant. And whether it was him or Edu, and it sounds like he pushed for a lot of the signings over Edu's recommendations. Maybe one or two they kind of agreed on, a few probably didn't agree on. Every signing he's made so far is, is outdoing fans to expectations of what they would do. Why would Rodgers come to Arsenal? Two reasons. Reason one, London. London is London. No matter what you say, people love London. And two... To bring Arsenal back to win the league, way bigger achievement than Leicester win the league as manager. 
because the last person that won the league at Arsenal was Arsene Wenger and it was in 2004. So if you can come in and Arsenal in the Premier League under your tenureship, immediately as a manager, your, your, your ranking goes up. Sure. So immediately he would be probably the third best manager in the league just by that one achievement behind Mourinho and Klopp. Sorry, uh, Jürgen and Pep, Baldy, Pep. He'll <laughs> be behind those two, right? Immediately just by that one achievement. So I think from an ego perspective, who wouldn't want to be the person to win the next title post Arsene Wenger? Like, it's, you want to do it because then you, you'd be put in the history books alongside that great man. I accept both your points. London is, is a massive drawing point. It, you know, when, when arguably, you know, we was kind of at a level playing field in our fighting, you attracted Sanchez because of London. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've lost many a players to London um, over the, the years. Um, that we wanted at different times, William, Clint Dempsey, you know, Sanchez, to name a few. Um, so, so sure, London is a big appeal. And, and Arsenal are a bigger club than Leicester. And, and the, the potential of the job at Arsenal is far bigger um, than, than the, the job at Leicester. Um, I'm just not sure that with the challenge, unless Arsenal, for example, if Arsenal finished top four this season and then was in a position to bring in Brendan Rodgers. He may look at that and say, we're back in the Champions League. Now I have a chance to move this club on. They're going to give me £200 million to spend this summer. Let's go for it. Why not? But if Arsenal are finishing below Leicester this season, there's no reason for him to make that move and take that pressure. He may as well just stay at Leicester, develop Leicester, keep winning a little FA Cup here, there, you know, here or there. People won't like the fact that I called it a little FA Cup, but you get the Smash point. Trophy. You know, winning the FA Cup, mm. finishing kind of there or thereabouts, Europe with Leicester and trying to compete. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I, I think Brendan Rodgers would take a big, big job again because he, he'd like the opportunity as soon as it comes. But could he do well enough at Leicester to make that job a bigger job than Arsenal? Maybe. Maybe, but then if the Arsenal job's available and they've called you, why would you turn it down? I don't know what happened the first time around. I don't know if he was on the list of managers they looked at. I don't know whether they... And what happened them. with United? Because he was on the shortlist for the United job too. But you can maybe... And this is what we don't know about what goes on behind the scenes of football. From my perspective, Nuno showed exactly his level when he took the Tottenham job as being Tottenham's seventh choice, choice candidate yeah. and was like, yeah, I'll take it. You want to be number seven? What? Like, I mean, maybe yeah. there's something about Rodgers that's just like... If I'm not number one, hmm. not interested. Make me number one, and then I'll be interested. Maybe. I mean, we won't really know what the ins and outs of recruitment. What I, yeah. what I would say with Arsenal and Arteta, I think he was the one they wanted initially. Raul pushed for Emery hard because he just got cold feet and they changed their mind. Because all the, all the indications was that it was going to be Arteta that was going to get a job. They didn't, get, they didn't go for him. They obviously learnt from that mistake. And when I think when they approached him the second time around, so I think they said the first interview wasn't great. He didn't interview really well. Second time around, he clearly came well better prepared and he had a whole presentation. The presentation he presented to them blew them away. I mean, Emery did the same thing. He talked about how he was going to improve every single player and we didn't really see it. Um, with Arteta, I, he talk, he's talked a lot about culture and transforming the culture of Arsenal because, again, when Freddie left, as, as the interim manager, they had a chat and he said to him, that's what you've got to clean up first, the culture. And he's kind of shifted out almost all the bad eggs. Clearly the last man standing is the former captain 
and he ain't gonna and maybe there's a few others that are on loan to Guendouzi um, might be one Saliba is a question mark over why he's not getting games is it experience or is it something else is it personal we will find out in the summer if Arteta is still there um, but he's shifting these characters out and we'll see how, how that, that does for him because again if, if, if we see him as the cleaner and this is a clean up job clean up Arsenal get them back to European football for me, this season it has to be top four because of the opportunity we have. And I'm, I'm standing by that. If we finish fifth, the man should definitely be fired in the season. Even if we finish fourth, there's an argument to say that maybe we should move on from him because depending on how the results... You go, have to learn to be ruthless to do that. And, it, and to me, it's about the results. So when we had that 10-game unbeaten run, the underlying metrics showed that we should have lost because we were exceeding a lot of shots, a lot of chances, and, and Ramsdale was making a high volume of saves. That's still the case. We are too open, even though we're better defensively, we concede a lot of chances and he's making a lot of saves. Yeah. So the metrics, the underlying metrics don't, aren't great. This game the other day against West Ham, that's the first time we had 21 shots. So that's a, a good start. I want to see that reflected more in games. I should be having more than, more than 10 shots in the game. Yeah. And West Ham are a yeah. good side. West Ham like, are this good is side. a team that have beat Liverpool this season, beat Chelsea this season. Um, they're a good side. So I think that is a, a good kind of game to, to look at and say this is a good blueprint this is what we want week in week out the the challenge i've had with arsenal and we sat here and had the conversation on the podcast the last time i was here a couple of days before you guys just playing liverpool you're on great form we'd not been on great form you know the arsenal vibe in the studio was it's you know if we if we um you know if we come and play like we've been playing we could give you guys a good go and you got hammered and 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 we weren't even playing that good and we yeah. tore you apart and Ramsdale made a handful of saves in that game that, if we're being honest, it could have been worse. Yeah. So, you know, I think... I, I say that to say that, that this is my thing with Arteta. Arsenal will keep him, I would assume, until the end of the season. If you finish top four, I expect him to stay, personally. But this is the... I guess this is the overarching problem, is that when Arsenal come up against a, a big team, a good team, a world-class team, they're out of their depth. Mm. You know, your little ticky tacker right from the back against Jurgen Klopp's pressing. We tear the ball off you every single time before you've got it three passes. Mm. And then we're getting the ball. The amount of times we took the ball from you in you know, 20 yards from goal. You're giving us chances because you're not positioned. You, you know, we know from pressing football that the most dangerous part, part is when you take that ball back in that first five seconds of getting the ball back in the transition. Mm. And, and we did that over and over and over again in that game and and that's my concern that that when Arteta goes up against the big boys you know Klopp Guardiola Tuchel I, I worry for you when I say Conte this season we haven't we haven't seen that yet but but the world-class coaches out of his depth. But this, the, the, you say that, but the, the sad thing for me is that during the lockdown games, he did really well in these one-off games. He's one, he's head-to-heads with the big teams. He really seemed to have kind of got a knack of getting the team to raise the level to have a performance. So we were solid defensive. And we, I mean, we did play counter-attack football. So it was like, you know, get the ball out to the right back, ping it, cross for ball to Bamiyang, isolate the defender 1v1. We had, we had, a, we had a, a blueprint that was mopped up. But... Ultimately, we'll have to wait and see. But that's the challenge of being a world-class manager. Can you control the game? Mm. And at the highest level, you don't see Jurgen Klopp go to Man City and say, do you know what? Let's play a different style of football to how we played for the entire season because Man City are a big team and we're inferior. No. 
and vice versa. Guardiola yeah. doesn't bring his Man City's beautiful passing football um, to you know to Anfield and say, let's play counter attacking and let Liverpool have the ball. No, they don't do that. They they and, and you have these two mammoth styles of football, which are the two modern day Goliaths, the the, the Pep Guardiola. You know, running from the Johan um, Johan Cruyff mm. passing tick attacker Dutch total football style, and then you've got the German Ralph Radnick. You know, come from Ukraine um, with um, Lobanovsky um, and Radnick, and then on to all of these German managers, Klopp, Tuchel, th- you know, and throughout. Um, and and then they come up against each other, and and it's okay. Let's see what can work out with us both playing our philosophy, and it's beautiful, incredible to watch, but. I think Arteta is proven inferior in them games because the only way he can get a result or an outcome is to tell his players to do different things to what he's used used to doing, which is playing out from the back. And that's not his fault. That Arsenal team are not good enough to play out from the back against a Liverpool press. And you don't play Liverpool every week. So that's understandable. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, the question is Arteta or Arsenal... Um, until the end of the season, yes, probably. Um, and I think the only way that changes is, is if an obvious candidate comes to the to the forefront. But it seems from the the decisions the club are making, they're backing him. They are backing him, rightly or wrongly, um, they are. But what I would hope is that in the back of their minds, they also have the bigger picture in play, mm. because no matter how well he's doing, and he's you know, it's it's very inconsistent. And that you can argue that's down to having a young team new ideas, but a lot of it is down to his poor decision-making, his dithering, his personal mind games or personal battles with players to cut off his nose to spite his face. A lot of it is down to him. And so that's a big thing that needs to change. Um, Otherwise, we are going to be stuck in la-la land for a long time. And frankly, I'm sort of tired of the wilderness. I want to get back to winning stuff. Um, But I think, we'll we'll call it that for now. We're going to have a, a follow-up on this, I, I feel, in a few months just to, to kind of talk about some more stuff because I have a feeling Arteta is going to disappoint me some more. But I'm hoping that you don't. So, Mikel, if this gets to you, focus. Focus. Play good football and we'll forgive you. Even if we lose, if it's good, we'll forgive you. But if you can't do that, you know where the door is. You know the Emirates really well. That door, just just write a letter. Say, guys, I tried. I give up. and move on. And we'll, we will happily aim for better. That's it for today. Marcus, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. For this nice little one-to-one chat. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate it five stars. If you're listening on Spotify, please do let us know. Would you have Brendan Rodgers as the next Arsenal manager? Yes or no? And if no, just comment and let us know why. This is us from One Kick From Glory and we'll be back for another one very soon. See you later. Peace.